You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to focus on the NFL draft with Teron Davenport from footballgameplan.com and talk Bears with Brad Biggs from the Chicago Tribune. And Brian, let's kick off the podcast today with Eric Adelson from Yahoo Sports. Eric, great to have you back on the show. Quick thought about the Winter Olympics from a television context. So much conversation about NFL ratings being down. As you know, the Olympic ratings were down as well. Does this point out that everyone's going to have a ratings challenge irrespective of the sport, given that we now live in a 5,000-channel universe? Yeah, good to be on, uh, Brian and Cornell. Nice to talk to you guys again. Uh, I, I think that there's uh, several factors here uh, in, in this particular situation. Obviously, the time. Uh, I, I think Olympics is, is sort of a very kid-friendly event, and a lot of kids were not awake to see the main events, uh, let alone the adults. The parents uh, were, were asleep. I think that was a big part of it. Lack of uh, U.S. star power. Um, but I think that no question what you mentioned about uh, choices. Uh, everybody has more choices now than they, they, they've had uh, when, when the three of us were growing up, and, and that's, that's a big deal too. But I also think that the um, people sort of tune into soap opera, and we didn't really have that much in the way of drama in this Olympics. And I think that people sort of gravitate to that, uh, whether it's good drama or bad drama, uh, and you can't manufacture that, nor should you. But I think that's part of why, you know, there, there, there wasn't really a major rivalry or a Bodie Miller figure. Um, and, and I think that that sort of uh, uh, took away from the, uh, the buzz. You mentioned the word options. I mean, there's a few quarterbacks that are out there uh, that's going to have a chance to, to be on someone's team next year, whether it's through free agency or through the draft. Give me your take on who may be the hottest, not in free agency, we know it's Kirk Cousins, but these young, these young kids coming out of college in this draft. Well, I mean, I hear a lot about Josh Allen, um, but I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure that he's going to be better than Lamar Jackson. And I, I don't like Lamar Jackson as much as I like Deshaun Watson. I, I was fairly sure about Deshaun Watson, um, as I was fairly sure about Teddy Bridgewater before him. I'm not as sure about Lamar Jackson, but I, I really don't understand the idea that he's not a quarterback. Uh, I mean, if you've seen him throw, <laughs> it's weird to me, guys, that you can, you know, it's very clear on tape that he can throw the ball a long way uh, and with some accuracy. And I, I think, you know, Clemson was, was a very difficult defense for him, and I think that that sort of was a, was a brick wall. But Clemson was, is, an, is an elite defense. I mean, arguably the best defense in, in all of college football. Uh, and he didn't really have much of an offensive line. He didn't have a ton of weapons. There's a very young team around him. I just don't really get why people sort of discount him um, as somebody that should be a top pick. Uh, Josh Allen, I, I like Sam Darnold. Uh, I've always liked him. I know he kind of fell off in terms of the buzz this year. People were saying that, you know, that, that he was going to be the number one overall pick. Uh, and then it's, it's a little bit like Brad Kaya, where he was number one, and Teddy Bridgewater, for, let's be honest. Those were number one guys, stayed around, and then they kind of fell off. Brad Kaya was, I think, at the end of the seventh round by the time he came out. Um, I like Donald. I like his poise. I like his arm. I like the way he's got a solid head on his shoulders. I think Josh Rosen is good. 
I got you know I'm not a, I'm not a Josh Allen hater. I just I, I just don't see why he's necessarily better than Lamar Jackson, and uh, Lamar Jackson's played against better competition. And if we're going to talk about changing positions here, Eric, I think there are obviously racial overtones historically. Why is no one kicking around the notion Josh Allen should move to tight end? <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, I, I just that, that, that's the other thing. I, I don't. Um, I mean, I get on, on one level, um, but what is the? I don't see why. If you watch one Lamar Jackson game, I mean, there's certainly been. Uh, black quarterbacks in history that you know that, that are uh, better runners than throwers, but you can't say that about Lamar Jackson. It's just plain the obvious that he can throw the ball a ton. And okay, you know, maybe like every other college quarterback, he needs to understand how the game works in front of him. There's very few uh, quarterbacks that come out of college that have that kind of acumen. I, I can honestly only one one comes to mind, which is Carson Wentz where I was researching him and I thought this guy is ready. I think in year one, because he's so he's, he understands the game, but that wasn't, that wasn't just a, 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 that wasn't just because of him. That's because of the offense he was in. Um, and you know, in there too, and Lamar Jackson has Bobby, has Bobby Petrino, uh, who's coached at the next level. Uh, so I, I just, I, I don't understand it other than the racial part of it. And I think that's part of it. Um, why you wouldn't say, okay, He's a tremendous athlete. He's a really good kid. He's got a great arm. We had, he has serious upside. Why can't that be the narrative on, on him? Why is it uh, poking for holes in Lamar Jackson and just assuming that Josh Allen is going to grow into a superstar as soon as he puts on an NFL uniform? Outside of the quarterbacks, let's talk about a running back in Saquon Barkley. I know they say that historically they don't like to go with running backs early in the draft, but you know the Cleveland Browns need one. They need one really bad. Offensive line, protect the quarterback. Of course the Giants with Eli Manning. He would love to have, let's just say, someone as a as a as an insurance policy policy, so to speak, in the offense to be there too as well. And also an indie. I know Frank Gore is getting long in the tooth and he's probably a future Hall of Famer because of his numbers, but they need to get Andrew Luck some help because having him look like Peyton Manning is not working right now. So when you think about Saquon Barkley, give me your take on where you think he may land. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that he's in that Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette boat. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily see him as much of a power runner as Gurley, uh, but it's close. It's close enough. Um, and he has a lateral speed. He has a straight-ahead speed. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can go wrong with someone like him. I, I think that what we're, what we're seeing in some of the young teams in the league, specifically the Rams and the, uh, and the Jags, and maybe the Vikings with Dalvin Cook will see how he is when he's healthy. But basically, if you have this sort of young horse thing that can do speed and power, uh, then all of a sudden your quarterback looks a lot better behind him. And I think that that's a that's reason itself to go with Barkley. I haven't heard anything bad about him uh, from anybody. I've heard tremendous praise from people I respect about him. Um, you know, Penn State. I think that probably you know everyone remembers linebacker. You, I think Penn State has sort of been a little bit underrated in its production of NFL talent. Uh, they seem to provide uh, guys with good character and durability. Uh, so I, I I think that this is. You can't say can't miss, 
But um, I, I don't think that any anybody would make a mistake by drafting him, especially with you with the Browns. I mean, the Browns have, I think, what, two top five picks? You can go with him in one uh, and, then, and then try to find a quarterback with the other. Taking you across the league with Eric Adelson of Yahoo Sports. Eric, how do you see the Vikings quarterback situation with the reports they're not going to use the franchise tag on Case Keenum? And if they want to be aggressive, it's their money, not mine. How about going all in to try to get Kirk Cousins? I mean, I, uh, for some reason, people just don't buy Case Keenum. I, 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 I sort of get it, but I don't. I mean, when he's had uh, good, good talent around him and good coaching, he's been good. Um, and he, uh, it, I mean, certainly the Eagles game wasn't his best, but um, th- that, that, was a, that was a team that beat Tom Brady. Uh, and if Case Keenum won that game, then I think we put him in the Nick Foles category now rather than the Case Keenum category. Um, I mean, the, the, the argument for that one, Brian, is they have Dalvin Cook. They have a good offensive line. I think you can always shore up your offensive line no matter how good it is. Uh, their defense is excellent. You know, if there's a team that has the, uh, has the option to shoot for the moon, it's probably the Vikings. And Aaron Rodgers comes back next year. That's the, that's the team you have to beat. Uh, Matt Stafford is in his prime. So I can see the Vikings saying, listen, we have to have a quarterback that's an elite quarterback. We can't have a quarterback that we think is good. We have to have a quarterback who, who uh, or at least options, uh, because I, I just don't think it's going to be as easy for the Vikings. They're going to have a number one schedule in terms of toughness. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and Matt Stafford are going to be, I assume, as good as ever. Um, and, you know, the Bears are going to be a little bit better. So, yeah, you know what, if they have the money, it, 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 they can do it. But I personally, I, I, I like Keenum and I roll it. I like that. That's, you know what? We're friends. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm a Case Keenum fan with that football team, and this is for the this is the reason why. The team is really good. There's no need, in my opinion, to grab a household name player that's only going to the playoffs one time in his career. He's not an A-list quarterback in Kirk Cousins. He's just the best guy out there, allegedly, based on the body of work and what we assume that he can do. When I look at the Jacksonville Jaguars with re-signing Blake Bortles and how that team played with how bad he was, Case Keenum deserves to get a franchise tag in Minnesota just because they play well together. Great defense, phenomenal running game. Uh, Dalvin Cook is coming back, as you mentioned. Phenomenal running game. All you need is a quarterback that can go out and make some plays. And I thought he played phenomenal last year for this Minnesota Vikings team, considering that no one anticipated seeing Case Keenum play that way. Yeah, I, I think you said it very well. I, I agree. I, I, when you're in that situation, and we saw it with Foles, you, when you have everything else, you just want a guy who's going to make a big throw in a big moment, which he's done, mm-hmm. uh, and also somebody who's not going to beat you. And yes, he made some mistakes in that Philadelphia game, but he certainly got them there. And he was very poised in big moments on the way there. Uh, and Bortles, actually, is another example. Uh, you know, he, he gets Allen Robinson back next year. And Fournette uh, was not a, was not, did not play a complete schedule. He was hurt for a, a, a decent part of, the, part of the season. He was benched, I think, at least once uh, by Doug Marone. Uh, so it, it, coming back in year two, if Allen Robinson is healthy, you know, the Jags are, are measurably better than, than they were last year with Bortles, who probably has more confidence now. So I think that, um, you know, I, I like Keenum a little better than Bortles, but I think you have a similar situation where uh, you have pretty complete young teams in Minnesota and Jacksonville 
why not go with the chemistry you have? Eric, great information as always. Good to have you back in the United States and good to have you back on the program here on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. TuneIn has what you need and when you want it when on the run and on the go. Covering all musical needs. Today's hits. Latin hits. Country roads. Hip hop beats. Supporting artists and the music they make exclusively on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's talk draft with Teron Davenport from footballgameplan.com. Teron, always a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. History tells us the last running back who went with the number one overall pick, 1995, Kijana Carter, wound up in Cincinnati. So it's a quarterback-driven league, but if we're just looking at pure talent, could you argue Saquon Barkley, coming out of Penn State, is the most talented player in this draft? Yeah, I think Saquon is probably the most talented player in this draft. And the Browns, they're in an ideal situation where they have pick one and pick four. And I'm one of few who feel this way, but I don't think that they need to replace Deshaun Kaiser. You know, I think they need to show patience with the young quarterback. So at number one, you could add a weapon like Saquon Barkley that could impact the passing game as well as obviously the running game. And then at number four, you're in prime real estate. You're going to have teams trying to move up to get one of those quarterbacks, you know, and you could trade back and add more quality players to uh, a team that needs a lot of quality players. So, yeah, Saquon is the best guy in this draft. Um, just you look at the package, returning the ball, uh, catching the ball out of the backfield. He can move over to the slot and, and run routes from there, and obviously he's a tremendous running back overall. So Saquon, yeah, for sure, he's the top guy. Majority of the time, the things that truly make sense are the things that normally never happens because that's, that'll be a, to me, it'd be the best situation for the Cleveland Browns because now they can start building in the right way as opposed to doing the crazy stuff they've been doing with getting quarterbacks. But tell me about Lamar Jackson and give me your, your honest assessment on how things may look moving forward to when they start working out. Yeah, you know, um, the situation with Lamar Jackson is interesting because he's a guy that you have some some people say, well, you know, you want to keep uh, the ball in a guy like that. He want to keep the ball in his hands, so you want to move him to receiver. I mean, last time I checked, the only player to touch the ball every single snap is the quarterback. So the whole idea of moving him from quarterback to receiver is absurd. And when you look at Lamar, I mean, you're getting the total package. He can, I mean, obviously his accuracy needs to improve, but. He can impact the game from the pocket. He's one of the best deep ball passers in college football. And I think when I look at him, you look at the progression that he's made each year, and he's become a better, better passer. And I think you put him in a situation like with the Saints, or you put him, you know, with, with a team that, that runs, you know, a, an offense that maximizes the quarterback, you know, his ability just to be a playmaker, period. I think he's an he's a, a excellent prospect for that. As far as what he'll do um, this week, I'll be honest with you, I hope he doesn't run well. I, I hope that, you know, he doesn't test well because I don't want teams to continue to, to fuel this whole thing about him being switched to a different position. 
But that being said, in my book, he's a first-round quarterback. Uh, he's right there with Josh Rosen as far as the, the best two quarterbacks in this draft class, and that's just my opinion. But I love the way he throws a deep ball. He impacts the game, and as a defensive coordinator, you have to you know, worry about so many things with him. Your defensive linemen have to be more disciplined as far as maintaining the, the uh, rushing lanes and not giving them that gap to run. Because, I mean, think about it. And, Cordell, you did it. You know, it's third and 12. A defense plays the, the perfect defense. It covers everybody. The quarterback takes off and runs for a 13-yard gain. That's deflating to a defense. So, for me, I like the way he can impact the game that way. Talking combine with Teron Davenport from footballgameplan.com. When you reference your top quarterbacks, I noticed you did not mention Sam Darnold. So what's your evaluation of him? I can understand the USC quarterback not wanting to throw an Indy because I don't think he has much to gain. But do you think that's a red flag in any way? Uh, you always want to see your guy that's going to be the, the one that all the competition emanates, you know, comes from. You want to see him compete. But, I mean, I'm not going to knock him for that. I think it just puts a lot of pressure on his pro day. For me, when I look at a guy like Sam Bradford, or excuse me, he Sam Bradford, he reminds me of Bradford, to be honest with you, where he makes some throws that, you know, Sam Darnold, that is, makes some throws that will have you like, wow, this is the guy I need to have running my offense. But then he'll make some throws that you just shake your head at. He's careless with the football, and I think that's the issue with him. And uh, because he could throw the ball so well, I think he's one of the guys that needs to be here throwing to reinforce those throws that, you know, have really stood out while he was in, at USC. Give me your take on this on Calvin Ridley. I mean, he's one of the most athletic receivers, let alone players in this game, because his escapability after catching the football and getting the yards after the catch. Give me your take on where he may go, because the last time we saw Alabama receiver going the game into the National Football League, it was Julio Jones, and he was extremely impactful. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I look at Calvin Ridley, you know, I don't see how he drops past. I think it's sixteen where the Ravens pick. And you got Ozzie Newsome. This is his last hurrah. And we know that he loves those Alabama guys. And, and Lord knows Baltimore Ravens need wide receivers. So when you get a guy with the polish that, that Ridley has, I mean, he came in and was impactful from the start. And he's a polished receiver, a lot like Amari Cooper as far as, you know, not the fastest guy, not the quickest guy, but just runs precise routes and understands the, the receiver position, you know, spacing and, and how to sell your routes. And, as you mentioned, making plays after the catch. I think that he's the top receiver. I don't see how he falls past 16, to be honest with you. Ron, where do you come down on Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming? You know the pros and cons. Big body, big arm, but he was wildly inaccurate. Could even get to 60% when we're talking about completion percentage playing in the Mountain West. You know, what did Mike Singletary say back when he was with the 49ers? I want winners. And I, I'm sorry, I just, I, I don't, when I look at Josh Allen, I don't see a winner. And this is a guy who was on the field with, with lesser talent and still had the results that he had. And I, I really, you know, challenge anyone to go back and watch the game against San Diego State, not this year, but the previous year, DeMonte Casey victimized him two times and he was not able to elevate that team to a, a, a conference championship. And, and those are the things that I don't like about Josh Allen. But at the same time, he has a huge arm. Now, I'm not sure how much use uh, a, a huge arm is if you can't place the ball properly. So that's something that he's going to really have to show. 
Uh, he, he fits the bill, you know, where he's he's bigger, you know, and he, he stands in the pocket and delivers the ball. He has some athleticism, but I, I just he's not in in my top three as far as quarterbacks are concerned. Uh, I think it's a, definitely a gamble. Uh, we've seen these gambles work out. We've seen them not work out. So we'll see what happens with. Them. How about Baker Mayfield? Does his brash approach? Does his I can prove you wrong by not getting a scholarship to Texas Tech and Oklahoma become a Heisman Trophy winner. Does that brash and that that desire to be good and to prove you wrong, does that transcend to being a decent quarterback in the National Football League? Yeah, you know what? I was just talking about Baker Mayfield, and he's so I love that about him. I love the chip that he has on his shoulder. I love the moxie that he has. Now, it has to be in the right situation, whereas you have to have the right group of guys who are going to respond to that. But, uh, I mean, look, if you, you get him in the offense with quick reads and, you know, occasional deep shots, I think he could really excel for, for a team. But it's just, you know, there are some things that are kind of going un, unnoticed, you know, just being swept under the rug when you talk about some, some background issues, some character issues that happened before this past season. But – I think that he's he's a really good fit for a team like the Jets. You know, I think that moxie, that 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 charisma, will really transfer well into the New York media uh, environment, and I think he would fit with that team as well. So I think it will move to the next level, and I think it's something that you know particular guys will feed off. You know, you want a guy that that is your leader. You want a guy that has that chip. You want a guy that has that edge. And like I said, that's something that that you'll be able to feed off, and you'll love his confidence and that will actually make you confident, more confident as well. Teron Davenport, footballgameplan.com is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Teron, last one for me. You referenced Josh Rosen. He's got a polarizing personality. Some teams might like that. Other teams might stay away. But are you concerned about his history of injuries with the Bruins? He got beat up throughout his college career. Yeah, he got beat up, but that's because he's, he was behind a suspect offensive line. You know, your body can only take so much of a pounder. I like Josh Rosen. I, I think he, he's he's going to be fine in the league, if you ask me. I, I, I like everything he brings to the table. And, you know, um, he, he's, a, he's a really good quarterback. He's probably my top quarterback in this class, you know, he or, or Lamar Jackson. So I, I think he'll be fine. When you look at these quarterbacks that may have a chance to go in the top five to maybe top eight spots, you know, it's very rare – that these guys that come in at that time with these teams that are so bad, especially teams like the Cleveland Browns, and so many say, oh, he has this talent. Oh, he has this capability. Oh, look at how he's releases. He's just, it's just prolific. It's just perfect. But then they get to the National Football League and it doesn't work. Is it because sometimes um, it's just people are overreacting to maybe grabbing a player and the team is not good enough to allow this player to really transcend into being something good because the talent is good in the player, but the team is horrible. Yeah, I, I think the placing of a prospect is equally as important as his talent in my book. I mean, you could get a guy, you know, that has all these good traits, but if you don't put him in a situation where he could showcase it and utilize it, what good is it? having those traits. So, yeah, for me, it's, it's key to be in the right situation. I think a perfect example, frankly, is, is the team that I cover, the Eagles. I mean, you look, Carson Wentz was put in a situation where 
they, you know, initially they moved the pocket. They allowed him to get comfortable making plays on the run. They allowed him to have, you know, easier reads. Uh, they, they, they simplified everything for him, and, and he had a decent season as a rookie, outstanding season as a second-year player. And I think that's really, you know, the scheme is, is very important. Doug Peterson and that staff put together a brilliant scheme. You have a guy like Nick Foles who has ability, but you have him going on one of the best postseason runs in the last 10 years, you know, and being Super Bowl MVP. So for me, placement is key. you, you got to be in the right situation. And I, I think you could look at some quarterbacks in, in the past that, that weren't in a good situation. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, for example, off the field stuff aside, was not in a good situation with that offense, you know, when he was last with the 49ers, and he wasn't allowed to excel. So you have to put a guy in in a environment. You have to put him in in a, a playbook that will, you know, really showcase him. Ron, we appreciate the information. Thanks for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Oh yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Despacito. Yeah, we were on that before the Beebs even heard of it. Mi gente. Way before Queen Bay. We were already on it. Discover the next Despacito or Mi Gente track on any of our Univision radio stations for regional Mexican music and top-rated shows. To Latin Trap and even Jackie Guerrido on the radio. Search for Univision here on TuneIn and enjoy a wide variety of flavors and stations. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's welcome in Bob Condotta of the Seattle Times. Bob, thanks so much for taking the time. Let's start with a real, journalistically sound, hard-hitting question. We know fans are irrational at times, so are you getting any feedback from folks in your town wondering... If Russell Wilson's going to continue to have these cameos at spring training, first with the Rangers, now with the Yankees, why is he not doing it with the hometown club, the Mariners? Well, uh, well, it, it's not necessarily his choice. Um, his, you know, his rights initially were were picked up by the Rangers in 2013 because he had been drafted initially by the Rockies before he ever was part of the Seahawks, and um, so I, I guess that was something that the Mariners weren't interested in. I think the thing with the the, the Yankees is, you know, you know, I, I do think I, this might have been orchestrated a little bit by his side because I, I think he has a, had a sort of a childhood fascination with the Yankees. He's talked about how his father was his favorite team and and all that kind of stuff so I, I think for Russell it's just um, sort of a chance to um, at least for a few days here kind of uh, um, achieve that goal that lifelong goal and lifelong, lifelong dream but I'm not sure it was something that was offered to the Mariners or something that the Mariners were interested in either. Bob when you look at this team and, and how things have gone uh, slowly but surely dwindling away just a little bit uh, the secondary with the Legion of Boom it seems as if it's going to break up Earl Thomas or rather be Cam Chancellor and his health Richard Sherman and his health um, and then all of a sudden you have Jimmy Graham on the opposite side of the football give me the state of this football teams from a camaraderie standpoint and even having a chance to compete next season give me the state of where this team is 
Well, I don't know if I can answer about the camaraderie part because we really don't know what this team is going to look like in a few months. So I think they got to get out on the field and figure that out once they get the faces out there and see how that comes together. But certainly, if you just look at the roster, uh, you're right. I mean, it's, it's kind of precarious that way, for sure. Um, you know, Cam Chancellor probably isn't going to play again. Um, you know, he's he's, uh, and that's not news. I mean, they, they've been saying that for quite a while. Pete Carroll has been saying, you know, it's probably going to be really difficult for him to play anymore um, because of the the injury that he has. He'll remain on the roster for now because contractually that's kind of the only thing that can happen but um, you know I don't know that there's an expectation that he's going to play uh, you know Sherman they expect to be fine and, and to play but uh, you know his long-term future certainly is in some doubt since he's entering the last year of his contract and then you got Earl Thomas who's in a similar situation entering the final year of his contract and and having made some waves obviously about potentially holding out if he doesn't get an extension prior to the season so they do have a lot of work to do to, to, to sort of put that all together and I think how they do that uh, you know how aggressively they work to do some of those things could also tell you what direction they think they're going. If they think this this core group of players still has it in them to, to make a run and they want to keep it together, or do they let some of these guys go and decide that maybe they're going to start over? But even then, you know, it's sort of um, precarious because Pete Carroll only has two years left on his contract, and who, who knows how much longer he would want to stick around and, and do that. You know, does he want to hang around for a full rebuild kind of thing? So um, I do think they kind of have to figure that out, what direction they're going. Bob Condado, Seattle Times, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Bob, after all the changes we've seen at the running back position in Seattle, what's the outlook this year? Do you think potentially they'd have any interest in trying to squeeze one more year out of Frank Gore, who will be available? Yeah, that's an interesting thought because there are uh, two, two of the new coaches they've hired have long histories with Gore. Brian Schottenheimer is your new offensive coordinator is with the Colts the last few years. And then uh, Mike Solari, who they hired as their line coach, was an offensive line coach with the 49ers for a lot of Frank Gore's years there. So um, something like that would make some sense. I, I, you know, they, they have Chris Carson. They really like him, but obviously he's had he's had some injuries and in coming off of those. And, um, you know, I, nobody expects Eddie Lacy back. And then Thomas Rawls, who knows what they're, who knows what's, what they're going to do with him but regardless they're going to have to add some running backs and and adding a veteran that um, you know maybe would come relatively inexpensively but that you know especially in Gore's case has always been really durable that would make a lot of sense we take on Michael Bennett on the defensive line um, will he be able to come back and be a part of this football team because I say again the nucleus of this football team has really been shaky I would say over the last year uh, to now the injuries are really taking its toll and, and Russell Wilson needs some help because now he looks like he's going to be a long ranger on this team to have to get it done the way we've seen him do it on multiple occasions. Yeah, uh, the, the Bennett situation is a little bit uh, uncertain and, and, and interesting as well. My, my hunch is that, is that he'll be back. It doesn't really make any financial sense to, to let him go. And, you know, he was still a really good player for them last year. I mean, he played more snaps last year than he has at any time in his career with the Seahawks, despite having, you know, battling a couple of persistent kind of nagging injuries. But he played played all the time and, uh, you know, still played really well, um, I thought, for them this year. So, you know, that's another one, I guess, that would, that would indicate to you what, what they think they're doing here if they really were to up and let Michael Bennett go then you know I think that would indicate they're kind of starting over a little bit uh, because I think from a strictly football standpoint if your goal is to to win to win next year I think you'd keep him around but um, I sort of think that's probably what they're going to do I you know I, I think just again given his contract and the way it's structured it uh, you, you don't save a whole lot of money by getting rid of him so uh, I, I think the benefit of having him would still outweigh that. Talking Seahawks with Bob Condotta from the Seattle Times. You reference Richard Sherman so much to discuss. He's now serving as his own agent, trying to come back from the Achilles injury. You watch these games closely without breaking down tape. Have you seen slippage from Sherman in recent years in terms of what he's been doing on the field? 
I don't really think so. I, I think there's a perception of that a little bit because they've used him differently at times. And so he, he's had games where maybe he's had to cover Julio Jones more or, or some, you know, some really good receivers. So the kind of thing they didn't necessarily do that much earlier in his career. But, uh, you know, I thought last year he was playing really well up until the point where he got hurt, you know, um, but, but, and what you have to factor into, according to Sherman anyway, was that he first, he first really suffered the, that injury and it kind of just got worse and worse in the, in the first game they played against the Rams. So, um, but you know, statistically, when they had all their all their guys out there last year, it really wasn't a whole lot different. Um, you know, they had a, a couple of the games where they gave up some points, or a lot of other things that happened there. Uh, I mean, like the Atlanta game with with turnovers and things like that. Um, but you know, until everybody got hurt, basically, um, you know, kind of starting in October with Cliff Averill and then with Cam and and Sherman in, in November. Um, you know, a lot of the defensive numbers, yards, you know, yards. Uh, for play and, and pass efficiency against and stuff like that were pretty similar to what they've always been. So, um, you know, that's, I think that's one of the things the team has to factor in there is, is how far, how, you know, are, are any of the guys, did they really slip? And is it just that when they had injuries and, and they had different guys in there, that's what made it look different. Bob, with everything you just mentioned, there's one person we haven't discussed and that's Coach Pete Carroll. How safe is he as he moves forward? He's not getting any younger as he moves forward in his career. The team is kind of, as I as we talked about, it's 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 kind of falling apart a little bit. Does he does he stay? Does he keep the wheels on the track as the train goes down the road? Well, I mean, he's not going to get fired, but um, he has two years left on his contract. So mm-hmm. whether they would want to re-up him after, uh, you know, in a couple of years and then whether he would want to do that at the age that he is, as, as you mentioned, I mean, he'll be 67 in September. So, um, yeah, I mean, at some point he's not going to keep coaching forever. And, and that's where if it, if, it, if it did fall off and, and he just thought, you know, yeah, I'm not, you know, at age 68, 69, um, I don't want to, you know, kind of try to start over again and do what, what he did when he first got there where it was sort of, you know, ended up being a really quick rebuild actually. But, you know, you sort of thought it was going to be a four or five year thing and it turned into about a two and a half year thing. Um, but you know it's hard hard to duplicate that. So would he want to do that? And would the organization you know want to want to commit to him um, at you know at the, as a, at a significant salary well into his seventies? You know those are yeah those are really legitimate questions. But you know I don't know that he's on the hot hot seat per se. Um, you know I, I I don't necessarily see a scenario where they just up and fire him. I think it'd be one of those things of just you know is this really what you want to do? Do you want to keep doing this? I mean he's been by far the best coach in Seahawks history and probably the best coach in the history of Seattle sports. So. Um, you know, it, it, um, I, I think I think it'd be much more of a just kind of mutual, just trying to figure out how to go forward if if they get to a point where they decide it doesn't look like it's working anymore with the current group of players. Bob, let's wrap it up with Jimmy Graham. What do you think his future looks like? Uh, something other than in Seattle. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he's an, uh, he's an unrestricted free agent, so you know, it's not just. You know, sometimes I think people forget that being a free agent means the player is free to make his own decision at this point. Um, so it's not just about the team saying, "Yeah, we want you back." I mean, he can he can go anywhere he wants. And obviously, it hasn't been um, the greatest on-field fit. You know, he hasn't seemed to necessarily, um, you know, be, be taking to the offense. Uh, you know, incredibly well. They they were able to get it get him some more touchdowns this year, but he really didn't have a great season. Otherwise, if you take out the, the touchdowns that he had, which were all just sort of um, short red zone kind of throws and things like that, um, you know, especially with the new offensive coordinator coming in and all of that. So um, I, I think I think just about everybody assumes he'll be playing elsewhere next year. Bob, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. 
Okay. All right. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. The boys of summer are back. And a fly ball well hit. Back to the wall. He leaps. Can't get it. It's a home run. MLB spring training is here, and you can catch every game from Florida and Arizona live on TuneIn Premium. Rivalry games, split squad games, TuneIn Premium has it all. When the pitch count begins for real, catch every game of the 2018 MLB season from opening day to the MLB World Series live on TuneIn. It's gone. It's a home run. Major League Baseball is on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's focus on the Bears draft needs with Brad Biggs from the Chicago Tribune. Brad, thanks for taking the time. Bears have been looking for a franchise quarterback since Jim McMahon. Our good friend Cordell is on that list of quarterbacks who came and went when it comes to a short stint in Chicago. Beyond the stats, how far did Mitchell Trubisky come in his rookie season? Well, I think if you're going to talk about Mitch Trubisky, who who got 12 starts as a rookie this past season for the Bears, I think the conversation probably needs to begin with the fact that it didn't look overwhelming to him during his rookie season. And I think we've, we've all seen a lot of young quarterbacks and even quarterbacks that have been around for a while uh, struggle because it looks like it's just too big for them. And, and that certainly wasn't the case for Trubisky. Uh, the stats aren't uh, very glamorous, but one thing does jump out at you. He did a really nice job protecting the football, which, as you guys know, can be another pitfall for, for young quarterbacks in the National Football League that can uh, get into some bad turnover habits that put the team in really uh, difficult spots. So, so those are the two big things for me, when you talk about his rookie season, number one, it, it didn't look too big for him. And number two, he showed uh, a real ability to, to, to be careful with the football. Brad, when you look at how that situation there in Chicago was handled early on, especially for Mike Glennon, uh, he came in, get a $45 million deal, $18 million bucks guaranteed. He thought he was going to be the starter for the year, but Mitchell Trubisky comes along. How do you explain that in knowing now that you have Mark Sanchez who could potentially have a chance to be the backup now behind Mitchell Trubisky to give that much money to a guy for one year and now he's gone? Yeah, well, I, I think I think the answer probably lies in the fact that they had moved on from Jay Cutler and they felt like they were in a position where they were going to have to uh, make multiple moves at the position, not knowing – uh, precisely what they were going to be able to do in the draft. It felt like they had to make a play in free agency. You go back and look in free agency and retrospect, um, yeah, they probably should have signed Case Keenum, right? <laughs> right. A lot, of, a lot of teams can say that right now. Uh, Josh McCown, uh, a former Bear, might have worked out for him, but I, I think they looked at Glennon as a guy who they felt uh, had some upside based on his time uh, in Tampa. And uh, did they pay him more than they needed to? Yeah, there's, there's really no question about that. But they, they needed to, to go all at this thing. They hadn't drafted a quarterback in the first round uh, since uh, Rex Grossman back in, in 2003. So they needed, to, uh, they needed to go at the position hard. And so I think that explains the money in Glennon. 
Uh, Glennon loses his job after four games because he was turning the football over uh, too much, and now they've got to make a decision on what they're going to do for a backup quarterback for Mitch. I think Sanchez is a guy who could be in the mix for that. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how that plays out because they feel like the dynamic in that quarterback room is one of the most important things uh, in the building. Talking Bears with Brad Biggs from the Chicago Tribune. When Mike Lennon gets cut, what do you think the marketplace looks like for him? Does he go back to being a backup quarterback elsewhere? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the best-case scenario for him right now, right? I mean, nobody's going to sign him to start. Um, could he potentially resurface uh, with the Buccaneers? Like, maybe. And they had what they had uh, Fitzmagic there this year, right? right. Back up to Jameis, so... Uh, he's coming out of contract, so the Bucks will be in the market for a backup. Maybe Tampa emerges as an option, but yeah, you know, if if, my, if things go Mike Glennon's way, perhaps he has a chance to continue uh, in the league for a while as a backup, which can be uh, pretty good work if you can find it and keep it, right? Yeah, I mean that, that sounds good. But when you look at this football team, I know you said some really good things about. Mitchell Trubisky and, and from a positive standpoint and, and that's always good because that's what you like to build around but when you look at this team I mean there is no more Matt Forte in that system to where he was every bit of 60 to 70 maybe 80% of the offense who now do you think you have and, and of, of course Alshon Jeffries goes and goes to Philadelphia and gets a Super Bowl but who do you see comes into this offense to help out of Mitchell Trubisky to where he could continue to not turn the football over to where you know, maybe if you start pressing and being young, you may start seeing too many turnovers. Yeah, well, they're going to need help for him. There's no question about that. I think um, I think Jordan Howard's got a chance to be pretty good in this offense, and he's pretty good uh, in the previous scheme under uh, the former coach, John Fox. You know, they had a uh, real reliance on the outside zone running scheme under Adam Gase and Dow Loggins, and I think that there's a possibility here that they're going to be more inside zone. If if they really kind of bring that Kansas City playbook to Chicago, tweak it a little bit, I'm going to see a lot of more inside zone running plays, and I think think those plays really suit his skill set probably even better. Jordan Howard certainly needs to be a little bit better out of the backfield catching the football. No one's going to dispute that. But as a runner, this new scheme could be even better uh, for his skill set. They've got to completely overhaul, revamp uh, the wide receiver position. There's no question about that. They've got to get better production uh, from tight ends. Uh, They're going to have to be active in free agency and the draft to add some offensive pieces uh, to help Mitch Trubisky out. Scouting with Brad Biggs from the Chicago Tribune. Brad, as you know, the scouting combine filled with rumor and speculation. A lot of talk that the Dolphins potentially could be willing to trade Jarvis Landry. It'd be expensive for the Bears to pick up a player with the franchise tag number, but do you think Chicago would have interest based on their glaring need at the receiver position? Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I mean, what? I guess... What's the price tag going to be? What are you going to pay the guy? Because he's been, um, first of all, he's been super durable. And that's the first thing you evaluate guys on, right? Can they, do they get on the field and they stay on the field? He's been productive. But, man, if I'm working with the defense and I'm getting ready to play a team with Travis Landry, I don't know that he scares me. 
you know, what, what was he, nine yards a catch this past season? I don't know that he's a guy that you really got to prepare for because you're worried about he's going to be a game plan wrecker or that kind of thing. He's been wildly productive. Uh, but if, if the price tag gets where some people think it might get, you know, to me, that puts him in a stratosphere where he's got to be a guy that the other team's got to stay up late at night. They've got to take their best cornerback and commit him to that wide receiver to try and stop him, which in theory then opens up things for some of your complimentary players, right? And, and I just I don't know that Jarvis Landry's that guy. Maybe other people feel differently. That's just kind of my take. Brad, when you look at the defensive side of football, that's pretty much been a staple for many, many years, going back to the now Hall of Famer Brian Urlacher. Um, he's not there, and of course, Peanut Tillman at the cornerback position in there, who's arguably one of the best corners they've had there in some times. But this young kid and Kyle Fuller, give me your take on the franchise tag um, when it comes down to them placing it on him, and what does he mean to that defense? Well, General Manager Ryan Pace talked this morning, guys, and admitted that you know they're, they're still kind of sorting through that, and they're going to have to figure something out sooner rather than later. The deadline, as we know, is March 6th for the franchise tag. I think that's a possibility, but I, I think it's probably unlikely. You know, If you've had a guy for four years, you ought to be able to come up with a value for him and what he would be worth to your football team. Can you sign him for that figure or not? I don't know. The one thing uh, that helps the Bears out, or should help them out anyway, is uh, while they've got a critical need to add some cornerbacks here this offseason, I think that's probably the deepest position in free agency and come up with some good players uh, that are going to be on the market. So maybe Fuller's in the mix there. I think they're going to be talking to his agent. Perhaps something can, uh, can get done there. But if not him, there will be some other players that are available. Brad, we appreciate the information. Thanks for joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, guys, take care. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.